happy that you're here for a divine service uh, today. And uh, a special greeting to all mothers. May you be truly blessed on your Mother's Day uh, tomorrow. Let me pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, your inspiration is always with us. Your inspiration is with me. But Lord, my own thoughts and my words are weak and feeble. And Lord, I humbly ask that whatever I say now reflects your guidance and your wisdom, O Lord, be with me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A long time ago, and far away, when I was in high school, I played football. Now, I wasn't on the varsity team, it was intramural football. Oh, and it wasn't tackle football, it was flag football. But it was football. And on our team at that time, in our classroom, we had only one individual who had any talent as an athlete. Uh, his name was Mac, and I can still remember him. He was the guy who, in gym class, would be doing 100 sit-ups, while the rest of us were struggling to do just 10. Anyway, because he was the only athlete in our class, he got to be quarterback. And the rest of us sort of had to try out for different positions on the team. Uh, unfortunately, when it came my turn to do things, it quickly became apparent that I was allergic to the football. I, I couldn't catch a football if my life depended on it. And when they tried handing it off to me, I would just drop it on the ground. On top of that, I wasn't very fast, so I couldn't be sort of a decoy receiver or anything like that. So they had a problem deciding what they would do with me. So they decided in their wisdom that I would be an offensive lineman, which sounds great. You know, it's flag football, so you just stand there in front of the quarterback and do absolutely nothing. Uh, but that, of course, overlooked two things. One, you know how rambunctious uh, young boys can be, so you know there was a lot of pushing and shoving going on, some head slaps and that sort of thing. But there was another reason that made it much more difficult. You see, the high school I went to had both an academic side and a vocational side. You know, the academic classes were over here, and over there somewhere was the auto body shop and the welding shop but we were all in the same grade. Unfortunately for me, as you'll see, and for reasons which I don't understand, the students in the vocational side were three or four years older than those of us in the academic side. And they were really big, and they had beards. <laughs> and we didn't. So when we would go out and face these guys, I, in the offensive line, would be opposite a bearded behemoth. And I thought to myself, should I just stand aside and let him come and tackle the quarterback? Or should I try to do my duty and stop him? Well, I tried to do my duty, and I don't know how many times I ended up flat on my back on the ground. So when it came to football, I had absolutely no talent whatsoever. I couldn't throw a ball, I couldn't catch a ball, I couldn't run with a ball, and I certainly couldn't block. I was talentless. You know, it's interesting that when we look at talents, we too often focus on 
sporting talents. You know, somebody who can hit a cross-court backhand like Roger Federer or score beautiful goals like Lionel Messi or have a slap shot like Bobby Hull. Does anybody here remember Bobby Hull? Hey, you know he grew up just down the road? He's a local hero. Anyway, if we don't think of talents in the sporting sense, we think of them in the artistic sense. You know, Shania Twain is a gifted singer. Margaret Atwood is a talented writer. But, you know, talent goes much more than just sporting and artistic things. Uh, when I talk with little kids you know, two or three years old, they never pay any attention to me. They just wander all around the room and do what they want to do. But I once saw a young fellow. He was about 18 years old. And these three- and four-year-old children were listening to him intently. And I thought to myself at that time, boy, that is a talent I wish that I had. We all have talents. But you know something? We in the church have something more than talents. We have spiritual gifts. Now you may ask, what is the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift? Anyway, if you did ask that, I'm glad you did ask it. <laughs> First, we should know that both talents and spiritual gifts come from God. That is a given that is a base. But a talent is given by God to anyone and everyone. It's given to Jews, it's given to Greeks, it's given to Hindus, it's given to Buddhists, it's given to atheists, it's given to agnostics, it's given to everybody. Because as Matthew 5.45 says, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust, and he gives talents to all of them. But spiritual gifts are given to those who believe in Christ Jesus as our Savior. Talents can also be used for very secular purposes, even though they can be translated into spiritual purposes. But spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are given strictly for spiritual matters. Talents can also be used for very selfish purposes. You know, I have this great talent, so I'm going to use it to make thousands and millions of dollars. If I could shoot a basketball, I could probably make $30 million a year. But spiritual gifts are altruistic. They are for the benefit of other people, not for ourselves. And Paul speaks a lot in the New Testament about spiritual gifts and about what these spiritual gifts are. So let's take a look at the spiritual gifts there are. We'll turn first to Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. 
He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. But that's not the only place Paul talks about gifts. Let's now turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And continuing on a little later in 1 Corinthians verse 12, we come to verses 28 to 31. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 4 verse 11, where Paul once more talks of gifts. And he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The fact that Paul speaks so often about spiritual gifts indicates the importance that they have. And he's outlined many of the spiritual gifts, but I'm going to take a brief look at what they are and attempt to give a brief explanation of them. I've divided them into three groups. It may be a bit arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Speaking gifts, service gifts, and special gifts. And let's start with prophecy. And I think the importance that Paul attaches to prophecy is that in each of the four texts that I've referred to just now, he mentions the specific gift of prophecy. So what is prophecy? I won't dwell on it too long or in depth because people know what prophecy is. It's the means chosen by God to communicate his thoughts and his views to man. And the prophet expounds or explains upon the will of God, revealing what his will is in particular circumstances. Now, as we know, a lot of people think that prophecy is about predicting the future. Well, it isn't. The, the prophet may speak about the future as he speaks about the past and the present, but it's not about predicting the future. And, of course, we believe that prophecy still exists. Prophets didn't just exist in the Old Testament. They existed in the New Testament, and they still exist today to pass on God's revelation and to communicate to the church membership things that they might have not, not have known or understood. Teaching. When we talk about teaching, it's worth emphasizing that we are talking about the teaching of spiritual truths, of biblical truths. A teacher of chemistry may indeed have the spiritual gift to teach biblical truths, but they may not. And someone who has never taught may have that spiritual gift given to him by the Holy Spirit. Because teachers are endowed with a special ability to expound upon the scriptures, to take the truth, 
to analyze it, to synthesize it, and to explain it in such clarity and logic that those who hear it will fully understand the message. It requires effective communication skills to be a good teacher. Exhortation. When I see the word exhortation, I think of cheerleader. And here in this church, we have an excellent cheerleader. Those of you in the congregation know her well. She is always there. And she does what a cheerleader does. She has a spiritual gift of exhortation. Because those with that gift are there to give encouragement to people, to push them forward, to comfort those who need comfort, to motivate people to respond to the truths of the Bible, to provide words of counsel, appreciation, encouragement, and consolation. And that's what she does. Knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to learn facts and to arrange them in an orderly and understandable manner for its presentation to others. And it's not just understanding particular Bible verses, for example. It's understanding the entire context in which those verses exist. What is the background? Why did these things happen at this time? Why did God pass on this message? The knowledge is not to be retained by an individual. It's to be passed on to others. Wisdom it differs from knowledge. Wisdom is someone who can understand and speak forth the biblical truths in such a way as to apply them to particular life situations. The principles of God, in other words, are used to recommend the best possible course of action. It distills knowledge and insight into advice. And I'm going to have to ask your forgiveness here. I'm going to use a secular example to, I hope, show the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And what's even worse, I'm going to use a sporting example. Uh, in July 1983, the Kansas City Royals played a baseball game against the New York Yankees. In the top of the ninth inning, trailing by one run, George Brett hit a two-run homer, which should have put the Royals ahead. However, the Yankees protested the home run, the umpire disallowed it, and uh, the game ended. That decision was reversed on appeal, and the game was resumed and played about a month later. Now, what is the distinction between wisdom and knowledge there? Knowledge. The umpire of that game knew the rule that Major League Baseball Rule 110C stated that Pintar could be used to enhance the grip of the batter up to 18 inches from the handle of the bat. Clearly, that's in the law. Wisdom is knowing that having pine tar on the ha handle of your bat did not affect hitting a home run out of the park. I hope people understand the distinction from that particular example. Paul also teaches about teaching pastors. Now normally when he talks about gifts, teaching is separate from pastoring. But in Ephesians, he talks about teaching pastors as being two parts of one function. We know what pastors do. They feed, nurture, comfort, help, guide, and care for the needs of the, the flock. 
So, but what we're talking about here is not the function of a pastor, but the gift that is given. Pastors usually have to have the gift of teaching as well if they do be effective pastors. Service gifts. The language is different in the, in the different texts that, that Paul uses, but we're talking about service, helpers, ministry, and basically that is the service or help of all activities within the church, including the distribution of relief and the meeting of the physical needs of members of the body. It's sometimes related to the duties of the deacon. You'll remember in Acts where there was the problem of the distribution of, uh, of food between the Jewish and Greek widows, and uh, they called upon the, the uh, 12 called upon the, for the selection of seven men of honest report to distribute the, uh, the food to the widows. This is an internal service. Giving. Giving is to contribute something to others, to share one's goods, times, talent freely to support those in needs. And as stated in a different context, to do it with cheerfulness. God loves a cheerful giver. Helping is to support individual needs, to provide sympathetic understanding, guidance, counsel, to, in order to enhance the effectiveness of other individuals within the church. There may be an overlap between giving and helping, but giving is generally for a group, helping is generally for individuals. Mercy. Mercy is to engage in compassionate acts on behalf of people suffering from physical, mental, and emotional distress. It is something that requires deep empathy and understanding in order to build up other people who are in a particularly distressful situation. Faith. We all have faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, right? Right? Okay, that's better. <laughs> when we talk about, when Paul talks about faith, he's talking about something deeper than that. He's talking about a special kind of faith which enables the possessor to do exceptional things on behalf of God. And there's a number of examples that we could look at in the Bible. I'll just take a couple here. Daniel 3, verses 17 and 18. We're familiar with the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these two verses say, If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. True faith. And think of the words of Job in Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. True faith. And we can also look more recently to Martin Luther. In the Diet of Worms, when he was asked to renounce all of his beliefs, what did he say? I am bound by scripture and the word of God. I recant nothing. True faith. Discernment. 
Discernment is the ability to distinguish the works of God from demonic activity, to distinguish good from evil, divine from counterfeit, right from wrong, between truth and falsehood. Jesus warned in Matthew 23 of the coming of false prophets and others who would come in his name and who would deceive many. And you know, this is a gift that the church needs today because there are a lot of false teachings out there in the broader community. And let's be frank, there are false teachings within the Adventist church. So we as a body need individuals who have the capability and the capacity to distinguish between what is the true word of God and what are false teachings which are out there. It's very important to have that. And administration. Well, you may think of an administration as not being particularly useful, but it is. Because this is looking after all of the administrative and management needs of the church to steer the church towards the fulfillment of what its broad goals are by looking after internal affairs, implementing plans, doing the kinds of daily activities which the church requires in order to function within the community. I now turn to the group of gifts which I have labeled special gifts. And I'll try to uh, explain uh, why, they, why they're special. And we'll start with apostles, because Paul, in one of the, the, the texts that I've quoted, lists apostles as first, the first gift. And apostles means one sent forth. And these are those who are chosen by Christ to tell others about him from their eyewitness accounts. And it's not just the 12 apostles. There's more than that. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8. Which I hope I will find soon. after the death of, uh, of Jesus and rising. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. There's a clear implication here that the gift of apostleship no longer exists because it was those who witnessed Christ who were the apostles. That's what makes this gift special. It was existent at the time Paul spoke. As he said, many of those are still are with us, but it's no longer present. Miracles. Miracles is a special gift performed under divine direction to do very different, very powerful things. They're supernatural events that occur outside the bounds of logical, rational, 
explanation. Do we still believe in miracles? Absolutely we believe in miracles. They're, they're, the problem is that we live in a secular age where the secular dominant thinking is that everything must have a rational explanation. And if you can't provide a rational explanation, then you just discount it. But we know that there is a supernatural order. I once heard someone describe looking for miracles as like looking for plastic with a metal detector. You're never going to find them because the metal detector detects metal, not plastic. So God can continue to work miracles, but are there individuals who work miracles? The apostles worked miracles, many miracles, but are there individuals today who do so? Perhaps not, but God can work miracles in any way he chooses, including through individuals. The same consideration applies to healing. Healers are those who, again, through divine inspiration and knowledge, heal those whom God has directed them to heal. The power to heal comes from God alone. Once again, the apostles did a lot of healing, didn't they? But do individuals do healing today? I'm talking in the spiritual sense, not about doctors and nurses and the wonderful people in the healthcare system. Do they do that? Probably not. But once again, God can heal anyone he chooses at any time he chooses, and he can use any human being as an instrument to cure illness and restore health. Finally, and I know you've been waiting for me to get to the end of this listing of gifts, I want to talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues. And let's start by going back to the Bible, to Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 4 to 12. Acts 2, verses 4 to 12. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these men who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful word of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? This is a clear indication that speaking in tongues is the ability to translate a foreign tongue into the language of the hearer. And the key here is that the individual speaking in tongues does not know the language. It is a language unknown to that individual. So it is quite different 
from the talent someone may have to learn Spanish or Portuguese or any other language and then translate it. That's the difference, the lack of prior knowledge. But in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul indicates that there may be another kind of gift of tongues. And there's quite an interesting debate about this, which I don't want to go into at the present time. That'll have to wait for a separate sermon on tongues. But Paul makes a point in 1 Corinthians 14, which is relevant to what we're talking about. First of all, those in Corinth thought that speaking in tongues was the greatest gift. This is a really wonderful gift, and it's much more important than other gifts. Well, that's not the case. Secondly, those in Corinth considered that they themselves were great people because they could speak in tongues. I am better than you because I can speak in tongues and you can't. Again, that is not correct. And thirdly, Paul indicates that if you can't speak in tongues and there's no interpreter, it is of no benefit to anybody because the purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify the body of Christ. And if you have no interpreter there and you're speaking in tongues, you might just as well shut up because you're not helping anybody. That's, Paul, that's Paul's message. And again, I won't go into it, but if you have the translation of foreign tongues, if you have the possibility of another kind of tongues, you then also have the third possibility, which Paul refers to, of counterfeit tongues. And I would suggest, with all due respect to all kinds of people, that there are lots of counterfeit tongues out there. So what can we take away from this? We have this whole list of gifts, spiritual gifts, which Christ has given to us, which the Holy Spirit provides to each and every one of us. So what about it? First of all, these gifts belong to every member of the congregation. Everybody here, now, today, has a spiritual gift. Every one of you. You may know it. Thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> you may know what your gift is. You may not. If you know what your gift is, are you applying it? Are you using it? If you don't know what your gift is, are you praying to God to reveal it to you at the right time? These gifts are not for in the, in the individual benefit, for any individual glory, for any individual boasting. They are gifts for equipping the saints for the, for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, these are altruistic gifts. They are gifts you offer out to other people because that is what God wants you to do. We have no excuse for feeling pride in our gifts. 
And we have no excuse for feeling better than somebody else because we have five gifts or ten gifts and someone else has only one. We have no excuse for feeling, on the other hand, jealous because I only have one gift and my colleague here has ten. There's no reason for that. All of the gifts are there to serve God. Whether it's one or ten, use it to serve God. That is why we have gifts. That is why each and every one of us is blessed. That is why each and every one of us should be grateful and thankful to God. Because we are here to serve the Lord. And may each and every one of you use your gifts to serve our Lord and to serve our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you.